Amen. Thank you, choir, for that this morning. Good morning. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'd like for you to stand as I read, and we're going to read 14 verses, and I'm going to read the first 13 to get to the 14th, <laughs> because that's where we want to kind of land the plane, so to speak. So, Acts chapter 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. After these, he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven." Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, of, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. And notice the activity of these Verse 14, then all with one mind, which is expresses unity, were continually devoting themselves to what? Say that again. To what? Prayer. Prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot going on in that passage. A lot of instruction for apostles. We find the ascension of our Lord Jesus in this passage. We find instruction from the Lord Jesus as to these apostles that they would be martyrs. That's the word witnesses. You're going to be my martyrs. 
I wonder what must have been going through the minds of those guys. And then as you come down in the last part of that, before Peter stands up, verse 14 says that they were of one mind. They were unified as, as a group of believers. And they were devoting themselves to prayer. And Lord, I pray that this morning, in just this short time that we're together, that your spirit would impress upon us the importance of unity of mind and the importance of depending on you, of praying, of coming to you. And that's where our focus will be today. That changed lives equal praying lives. And I would confess to you, Lord, that one of the disciplines that I need the most help with is this area. So I've just been trying to be obedient to you, and I believe probably the sermon today is more for me than anyone else. But I pray, Lord, that today, as we look at the subject of praying lives, we ask ourselves the question, is that something we talk about or is it something that we do? Lord, I don't even know if this side of glory we can understand the importance of it fully. But I pray that even today might be a change for us that we would commit ourselves even more to prayer. Because Lord, I would say I need you. And I need you every hour, every moment that goes by. And so do all believers. We need you, Lord. And I pray that that's true, that we, we could say that ourselves today, all of us. And so I pray that you're honored in this hour. And I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to open your word today. And I pray that as we, as we sing, Lord, that our, our, our singing is to you. And that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Savior and Lord. Amen. Good morning. I heard a quote from, uh, I read a quote from Chris Tomlin this week. He said that uh, worship is not so much about singing as it is about seeing. When we see uh, the depths of our depravity, how empty we are, and then we see what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the depths of God's love, uh, it compels us to worship. So I pray that's our, our attitude this morning as we worship the Lord together. So let's sing.
to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at His right stands one who is my Savior. I take Him at His word and Christ died to save me, this I read. And in my heart I find a need of Him to be my Savior, that He would leave His place on
set me free. Must drink my solace from the spring. That he who lives to be my king. Once died to be my savior. says no input is detected <laughs> that's a problem all right take your Bibles and go to Colossians in the fourth chapter we won't be there exclusively this morning but it's a good starting place for us If you're visiting with us or you haven't been here for a few weeks, I've um, been going through a series called Change Lives, and it's, it's been an uncomfortable series for me because every week I'm not sure what I'm doing the next week. I don't know. I mean, it's like one of those things where the Lord's just, I'm just asking His Spirit to lead me, and, and sometimes it's early in the week, and sometimes let's just say it's not early in the week. This particular subject um, this morning is one that um, 
I just think the Lord was preaching to me this one, and I'm just passing it on to you. That's kind of how I look at it. How many of you enjoy alone time? Remember your spouse is sitting next to you, right? How many of you young moms with all those kids, you enjoy that alone time? Remember that, fathers? Every once in a while, just surprise your wife and say, Hey, babe, I'd love to have those kids tonight. <laughs> I don't think I did that a whole lot. Did I do that a whole lot, dear? <clears throat> well, she's not. <laughs> she's not commenting. <laughs> Thank you. Translated, no. I want to give you just um, a couple of thoughts from um, Paul as he talks about this issue of being devoted to prayer. And then I want to give you some examples in the life of Christ. And then I kind of want to end a little different today. That'd be all right? You don't even know what I'm going to end with, so it might not be all right. But I hope it is. I hope it'll minister to you, and I'm trusting it will to me. Um, a couple of quotes here on prayer that I think are good. The first one is by D.A. Pearson. He says, There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin with united prayer. We certainly live in a country that needs spiritual awakening. We need it in our community. We need it in our neighborhoods. We need it in our state. We need it in our country. We need to pray that the Spirit of God will continue to work. We know He is. We know He's saving folks. But while we look at our country today and, and there's just a darkness that's out there. And we look at our neighborhoods and we're one of very few pulling out and even attempting to go to an assembly to meet with other people, to sing and to pray and to hear God's word. Um, the other quote that I really like, it's one of my favorites, by Martin Luther. I can relate to this one some. Work, work from morning until late at night. You know, pastors sometimes, what happened? <laughs> it's time for me to go to kid's church, right? <laughs> I can, get, can I get that back up there? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Children, you may go to children's church. Work, work from morning until late at night. You know, pastors are kind of, you know, people kid and say well you work one day a week yeah well I'll just say yeah um, in fact he said I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer it is so critical that we get that that prayer is absolutely an essential part of our lives you know, for some people, dessert every night is an essential part of their supper. 
I know um, my grandmother, my grandma Blunt, she made desserts all the time. And every meal after supper, there was dessert. Period. Amen. And it was just an expectation. You sat at the table, you ate your main course. And at the end of the meal, there was dessert. And I was thinking, you know, prayer should just be something that is just so habitual in our life that that we just can't do without that time. Now, a lot of people emphasize, and I do, study God's Word. I mean, I'm all about that. Study God's Word, read God's Word, meditate on God's Word. All those things are critical. But I would say, for me, I don't know about you, but I could work on this one a little bit more. Prayer, prayer, prayer. In Colossians, in the fourth chapter... The Apostle Paul gives a command to these believers. These are believers, and he's given them command. In fact, in the Greek, it's a present imperative. He's not saying if you want to devote yourselves, or if you think about it, he's saying do it. <laughs> right? I'm finding that Christians, as time marches on, don't much like commands. Anybody agree with that? Now, command um, is something that we find difficult to receive at times. But this is a command from the Lord to the church at Colossae through the Apostle Paul. It's a command. He's not giving them an out clause. He says, commit yourselves, devote yourselves to prayer. Do you know that in the early church, the Bible tells us in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, that the early church continually devoted themselves, one of those was to what? Prayer. Prayer. You know, it's fourth in the list, and I think it's treated that way sometimes. Like it's an add-on. But it is a vital part of our growth as believers. Because it says, hey, Lord, first of all, I recognize who you are. There's no one like you. I recognize, Lord, that I need you. And moment by moment, I need you. Hour by hour, I need you. Day by day, I need you. I just need you. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Notice what he says, keeping alert in it. That word alert there means watchful or ready. Be ready. Be watchful. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being alert, being watchful, being ready. Go back with me in your Bibles to Matthew in the 26th chapter. Matthew 26. When I reread this this week, I... I was reminded of the weakness of man. I put it in here, right? That's it. Yeah. Look at verse 36 of Matthew. 
26. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he came to the disciples and found them doing what? Were they watching? They're snoozing, man. They're sleeping. And said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? And he says, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. And he came back and found them watching and praying. Now he came back and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Man, this was a really critical time in the life and ministry of Christ. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's asking his disciples to do what? Be alert and pray. As I get older, um, I don't sleep as much. Any of you have that problem as you get older? I just don't. I just don't sleep. I, there's times where I'm just really restless. Well, when I was younger and I would get restless, which wasn't too much, I'd go in the living room, I'd hit that remote, turn on that TV, and find something to watch. Well, as years go by, and it's happened to me a few times in the last several weeks, I just get up. I just can't help it. I can't go to sleep or I can't get up. One of the two. And you know what I find myself wanting to do? Pray. One of the things that I've asked the Lord to do is, Lord, when you wake me up, there's a reason for that. And whoever it is you bring to my mind, I'm going to pray for that person. And do you know without fail, without fail, people are always on my mind. And I'm even seeing some of you today. The Lord wanted his disciples to watch and pray. The Apostle Paul wanted the same thing for these believers. And notice the end of the verse. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Okay, I was doing all right till we got to that. But it's being thankful. I was thinking, you know, I saw on Facebook this week, there was a, a lot of people that posted, what day was it? Friday? Hey, there is this big ball in the sky. 
that we hadn't seen in a while. You remember that? It's called the sun. We saw a lot of it yesterday, and praise the Lord, we're seeing it again today. But I got to thinking about that. And um, I was like, Lord, my attitude of thanksgiving is not impacted or should not be by whether it's sunning or raining. I can praise you when it's raining. I can praise you when the sun's out. I can just praise you because you are worthy of praise. So he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then he has a further request. He says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, which, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. So he gives them some instruction here as it relates to prayer. I want to give you this morning three examples of our Savior and his prayer life when maybe he wanted to be sleeping. <laughs> I want you to go, first of all, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse number 21. The Lord Jesus here is in Capernaum. And this is a day of, in the life and ministry of the Lord as we have it here recorded for us in Mark chapter 1. The Bible says, They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. So underscore he began to teach. So he's active. The Bible says, and they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you not come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the dis surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And when evening had come, I mean, this is already a long day of ministry. The Bible says, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Can you imagine the scene? <laughs> and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. My friends, listen to me. That's a full day of ministry. That's a long day of ministry. 
He's teaching. He's healing. And there's warfare going on. Now, at the end of that day, it's time for what? For rest. A long rest. But notice what the Bible says in verse 35. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, hold on a second. I thought we just read about a whole long day of ministry. And he's tired. We forget about the humanity of Christ. He's tired. He got weary, just like we do. The Bible says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was what? Praying there. You know, when you read verses 21 through 34, I don't know if you're expecting 35. I'm looking at that going, man, I'm not expecting that. And you know, there's a whole lot of ministry going on there. And that, listen, I can relate to that. I'm thinking, my day's like this. Ministry, 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 ministry. And maybe yours is like that too because you have lives where you're doing ministry except you're in your job and your school and whatever and you're going through your day and all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, it's time for bed. I've had a long day. I deserve those next 10 hours of sleep. Uninterrupted. I look at my Bible and I go, wow, the Lord, he set the benchmark. He got up early. While it was still dark. And there's a key phrase here. He went to a lonely place. Guys, you got to find that place. Can I tell you what you can't do in that lonely place? You can't take your phone. Don't take your phone. Let me say it again. Don't take your phone. Don't go sit in front of a computer for a lonely place. And for me, I can't go sit in a room where there are any distractions. Because immediately I'm going to be distracted. And do you know you'll find this? Listen to me. You'll find when you make that commitment to a lonely place, the enemy's working. He's working. He doesn't want you in a lonely place. But Jesus here gives us a great example of the importance of that lonely place and praying there. Well, there's another example. Once you take your Bibles, go with me to Matthew. I mean, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. Another example of a busy time in the life and ministry of the Lord. Now, in the context of the passage, the context is very important. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. This is very important. Because there's two particular times in this text where he says he went off. But the first time he goes off, he's interrupted. (laughs) And when I read that, I was like, you know what? That's happened to me. That ever happened to you? You go off and you find your lonely lonely place, but you're interrupted somehow. Well, the Bible tells us in verse 13 that when Jesus heard in terms of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. 
But, look at the rest of the verse. The multitudes heard of this. They followed him on foot from the cities. The Bible says, And when he came out, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. So he's back into ministry. Verse 15 says, And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, The place is desolate and the time is ready, already passed, so send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. <laughs> uh, but Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. This is one of my most favorite miracles of all. It occurs in all four Gospels. It's an awesome, listen, if you get time this afternoon, which you will have time, right? We're not staying all day. When you get home, go read John 6. It is a wonderful account of this miracle. And the discourse after that, that Jesus, he says, I'm the bread of life. It's an awesome, we could turn there and I'll start preaching again. It's an awesome text. Well, Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. I wonder immediately what was going through their minds. And ordering the multitude to recline on the grass, he took the loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes, and they all ate and were satisfied. And man, how did that work? Can you imagine being one of those disciples and watching that food multiply? Listen, when he says, I'm the bread of life in John 6, that's exactly what he means. What he's saying is, listen, I'm all you need. I'm your sufficiency. In fact, at the end of John, he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. In other words, I'm what you need. <laughs> I really like that. Sometime we'll have to do John 6. Notice verse 20 at the end. It says they picked up what was left over the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. Some theologians believe there may have been as many as fifteen to 20,000 people. <laughs> wow, man. If you're walking with the Lord and you see that, you're like, Whoa. We don't do woe enough in our lives as Christians. I mean, I'm looking at the Lord and what he does and how he answers prayer. And I have personal examples and I'm like, wow, Lord. I could never do that, but you can. I can't save that person, but you can. Verse 22. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Now, by the way, that's another good... After you do John 6, read the rest of this because in that text, listen, he sends them into the storm. He knows what's ahead. <laughs> well, the Bible says, verse 23, look at this. After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to do what? Pray. Pray. Pray, pray, pray. I'm very comforted by the fact that my Savior 
needed to commune with his Father. And if my Savior, who is Lord, needs to commune with his Father, then why, what about me? I need that. There's one more illustration I want to give you before we end the service in a weird way, maybe for you. Luke chapter 6. I want you to go there, Luke 6. Verse 12, the Bible says, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent one hour in prayer to God. Is that what it says? Not what it says. You talk about devotion. The Bible says he spent the whole night in prayer. You ever had a rebellious teenager? Won't talk about mine. But you ever had a rebellious teenager that's kept you up and before you know it, you're praying and you just keep praying and praying and praying because you know there's only one person that can change that teenager. And that's the Lord. I have an example of that in a family where a young man was rebelling and rebelling ferociously. And the testimony of that couple after trying to deal with it on their own, because let's admit it, when there's hard stuff, sometimes we try to do what? Deal with it on our own absent God finally the testimony of this couple was hey Thad we came to the point where all we could do was pray I say let's just begin there let's just begin there you say yeah Thad but I'm raising my kids and I'm raising them just right and they're not going to rebel hmm My friends, listen, we're prone to rebellion. Even as adults. <laughs> well, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he's choosing the 12. I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, I couldn't remember if I mentioned this to you or not, but if I did, you probably forgot it, and so I'm going to mention it again. I just wonder if that whole night prayer, how much of that had to do with Judas Iscariot? Just a thought. Man. So he spent the whole night in prayer. Look at verse 13. And when they came, when they came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named his apostles, Simon, whom he also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. <laughs> but you know, 
the Old Testament tells us there would be one, right, that would betray. Judas Iscariot's a fulfillment of prophecy. Because I look at him and I go, wow. But I think the Lord spent the whole night in prayer over these men. And there are things in my life that I need to spend the whole night about in prayer. You say, yeah, but what about sleep? You don't need it, right? As you get older, you find out you don't need much of it. So I look at the examples and I go, okay, Lord, you have set up for us not just instruction on being devoted to prayer. You don't just give us an illustration about the early church, but you yourself set, were set apart and that you prayed continually. I wanted to spend the last few moments giving you something that maybe would be practical. It's practical, I think, in the setting of a church. I think it can happen in the church, and we're going to do a little bit of that today. But I also think that it can happen with you on an individual basis and with myself. And it's called um, the Acts Method of Prayer. And I'm sure many of you have heard this. This won't be a necessarily new to everyone in here, but I like it. The first one is adoration. Adoration means giving God praise and honor for who he is. I need a volunteer who's going to read loud. And I'll got before I call your name. Somebody, volunteer, right now. Bruce Grubbs is going to read for us Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. Now, the reason I chose this is because when we think about adoring the Lord, right? When we think about adoring the Lord, we think about giving him praise and honor for something. So I'm going to ask maybe two or three of you here this morning, right now, where you are, stand up and praise God for something. What is it you want to praise him for? Somebody. Who's going to be first? Okay, my salvation. She praises God for her salvation. Someone else. His long suffering. His long suffering. Anyone else? Faithfulness. His faithfulness. Mercy. His mercy. Forgiveness. His forgiveness. Man, we could go on and on and on and on, right? <laughs> I heard something over here. Hey, Ray. Your wife, all right? And I praise God for mine, right? Amen, I better. <laughs> After a comment like that, I'll be in trouble. <laughs> but you know, the focus of praise is on God. It's not men, it's God. Hey, you know, the early church, I believe they did stuff like this. I just believe, you know, they were a community. I think it's important, right, that we are able to express publicly with each other, what we praise God for about him. Now, I praise God that he's unique and there is no one like him. And Psalm 115 tells us that. Read that for us, Bruce. Verses 1 through 8. Can you do that? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. Because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. Who should say, that, what, why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens, 
and he does whatever he pleases. Hey, can you stop right there? I love that verse. He does whatever he pleases. Whew. All right, sit back down, Bruce. I'm going to preach. No, I'm kidding. But that, that's one, man. He does whatever he pleases. That, that's the God we serve. Keep going, Bruce. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Okay. Amen. Hey guys, there's no one like the Lord. And I ask you, how well do you know him? I thought of this illustration this week. The Lord brings me these illustrations because I'm not smart enough to think of them on my own. I'm walking the other day and I'm thinking about the fact that God's just, he's just unique. There's no one like him. And when I examine the word, it tells me that. But sometimes I'm not a really, I mean, sometimes I miss things. And I got to thinking, you know, new moms don't miss things. When our boys were born, um, we didn't find out what they were going to be, whether it's boy or girl. And so they were all surprises. We had three boys. And I remember um, the, the, our last son was born here in Alabama. Our first two were born in New York State. In fact, our middle son likes to say he's from New York State, but he's really not from New York State. He was born in New York State. But our youngest son was born here in Alabama. We had some people that came to the hospital and, um, from here. And so when our son was born, um, I went to the window and, and, you know, I'm pointing out who the baby is. And they're pounding on the window like, what is it? What is it? I'm like, it's a baby. That's what it is. It's a baby. But I'll never forget, in all three cases with our boys, when our, when our boys were brought to the room, I looked at my sons and I was like, praise the Lord. But you know what my wife did? She uncovered his little, the blanket and started touching all his little fingers. And she examined all his little toes. And she examined his ears and the nose and everything. And I'm like, Lord, that's what you want from me. You want me to examine your word thoroughly so that I might know you, truly know you. All right, well, we've got to move on. So adoration, second confession. The word confession simply, simply means to agree with God. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that. If we confess our sins, agree with God, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the scripture that I wanted to um, read just for a moment 
is Psalm 51. Um, because in Psalm 51, David does something that I think is very, very important that we would grab onto. Psalm 51, in the context of the passage, this is after Nathan the prophet had come to him, approached David about his sin with Bathsheba. And the Bible tells us, in verse 1 of Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Look at this. For I know my transgressions. Can I just stop there and pause and ask, do you know, you can fire the question right back at me. Do you know your sins? Confessing sin, I think, is one of the most difficult things we do. Saying to the Lord, something just took place and it happened to me a couple of days ago and I'm like, Lord, that was pride. I confess that was pride. You ever had that as you're walking along in your life and you're in conversation or you've done something you're like, Lord, that was, that's agreeing with God. Because the Lord hates pride. Pride's sin. Well, notice what it says. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. In fact, if you go to Psalm 32, it says his bones were hurting. They were aching because of his sin. Here's verse 4. Look at this. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. His sin was against who? God. The consequences, man, the rippling effect was all over the place. But his sin was against God, and the language is appropriate. Against thee and thee only I have sinned. And look at this. And done what is evil in thy sight. Now listen to me for just a second. Sometimes I think we tend to measure evil based on the person next to us. Well, that's not really, I'm not as bad as that dude. And I don't do what she does. But that's not the measurement. The measurement of the sin of pride is what God says about pride. See? The measure of the sin of covetousness is what God says about it. So, as I've said, I need to examine my own backyard before I get into yours. Against thee, David says, and thee only I have sinned, and done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost what? What's that next word? Judge. My friends, listen to me. The Lord continues to judge. He judges sin. In the lives of believers, absolutely. Read 1 Corinthians 11. Some are weak, some are sick, some are dead. So confession... I'm going to give us all a minute. We do that just to confess before the Lord. We're not going to do it out loud because our sin is against the Lord. But just a minute. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you walked in here today and you're not in fellowship with the Lord. I don't know. Let's bow and let's just pray and ask the Lord.
Confess that to him. I know that for my life that every day I'm constantly reminded of the battle against the flesh. Your word tells me to be filled with the Spirit. I need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit every day. I pray that all of us would understand in this room the importance of confession David confessed, and he understood the only one that could forgive was you. Thank you, Lord, for that. Someone mentioned it a few minutes ago. We thank you for forgiveness. And we thank you that your spirit leads us into all truth and points us, points out the error in our lives, the sin in our lives. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. The third point in the Acts method of prayer is thanksgiving. Now we can spend a lot of time on this one, but it's an attitude of gratefulness to the Lord. Psalm 118.1 is the idea of giving thanks to the Lord. Psalm 118 verse 1. Let me just read it real quick to you. There are many passages. In fact, I can give you a third assignment today once you're done with those other two and Matthew and John. Go through and, and just read how many times Thanksgiving occurs in the Old and New Testaments. You'll be, that'll give you enough to do for the rest of the week. The psalmist says, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. That kind of sums up to me Thanksgiving. We give thanks to the Lord because He is good and He is holy and He is righteous and He is just and all those things. So it's thanksgiving. And it's thanking him in the midst of trouble, too. It's not just thanking him in the good times. It's thanking him in the midst of heartache. Because, listen, in the midst of heartache, we don't know why God allows things to happen all the time. But we can be thankful that he's in control. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times in my life that that's been a challenge. To give the Lord thanks in the midst of difficulty. In the midst of heartache. So it's being thankful. So we got a minute or two. What are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for? Don't be shy. Peace. 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 I'm thankful for church Okay, Brenda's thankful for her church family. The hope we have in Christ. His sovereignty, His word, His grace. Guys, you know that definition, unmerited favor? I don't deserve anything but hell. And it's only grace, the grace of God, that gets me heaven. That's it. What else? Amen. Thankful that he's my father. 
Uh, somebody said something over here. Trust. trust. Thankful that you can trust the Lord. Right? And then somebody said something over here. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. <laughs> yeah, because we can relate to that one. Right? Even in relationships. I love you if. By the way, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's unconditional love. Just thought I'd throw that one out as a side. The last one is supplication. Bringing our request to the Lord. And for this one, I'm going to close... Um, in Philippians 4, and you all know it, but it's such a great reminder for all of us as believers as to what God wants for us. Verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious. I confess to you that anxiety in my past was such a problem. When I was in high school, I had an ulcer. When I was in 11th or 12th grade, I forget what grade, one of those two. Man, I worried all the time. I worried about worry. I worried about what people thought all the time. Constantly worrying. I want to tell you, I'm thankful that over the years, the Lord has relieved me of that worry. That doesn't mean I never do it, but I certainly don't do it as often as I used to do it. He says, be anxious for nothing. So how do you get rid of that anxiety? Here it is. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, and there's that word again, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. By the way, this is in the right order. Be anxious for nothing. How is that anxiety cured? By giving it all to God. That's how it's cured. You give it all to God. That means you give your kids to God, your wife to God, your job to God, your checkbook to God, all of it. And verse 7, I love verse 7. Somebody just mentioned peace. And the peace of God. When I do that, because I have to do verse 6, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have I told you the picture of that word guard before? Do you remember what that picture is? I'll tell you again, ready? Just in case you forgot, because every once in a while we forget. That word guard is a picture of a Roman garrison of soldiers, 6,000 soldiers. So are you meaning to tell me that if I do verse 6, I've got a Roman garrison of soldiers better than that. Better than that. The Bible tells me I have the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us to have that peace. So there are things in our lives that we bring to him. And we, rightly, we do that. And some of those things cause us anxiety, but we bring those things to him knowing, right, that peace that surpasses all understanding and comprehension. Well, hopefully those practical things will help you as you walk with the Lord.
I do not like leftovers. I'm not one of your leftover people. Once it's cooked for that particular meal, that's it. You might put the leftovers in a little box or container or whatever it is you do, but I would prefer not to eat it. I want what's next, right? I'm not a big leftover person. I was thinking about my prayer life. I thought, Lord, you know, sometimes I think I treat it like leftovers. And I don't want that to be. And it doesn't need to be for any one of us. We need to think about prayer on a regular basis. And my prayer for you and for me that we would be led by the Spirit of God and that as these things are put on our hearts, that we would adore the Lord, that we would confess our sin, that we would give Him thanks, and that we would bring all our requests to Him knowing that the peace of God surpasses all understanding and comprehension. Let's pray together. So Lord, um, changed lives equals praying lives. It's a um, continual, um, I, I just admit it, it's a continual struggle in my life. You know, Lord, I pray and I have the mind of prayer. Paul tells us to continually pray, always be in prayer and I know it's better than it ever has been in my life, but I have much room for improvement. I pray, Lord, that you would, as you work in my heart and life, that I wouldn't let the distractions take me away from the personal, intimate time that I need with you. Because I think all of us face the temptation of saying, hey, Lord, I got this one. But the truth is, Lord, that we need you every hour. And I believe that if we come to understand what it means to praise you and give you thanks, the supplication area, it's going to be a little easier because we're going to understand who you are and we're going to understand how you work. And we're not always going to understand everything going on in terms of why something's happening. But you know, and we can trust you, as someone said this morning, we can trust you because you are proven trustworthy. You're a faithful God. I pray that we would give attention to this area, that it would be something, Lord, that um, as we leave today, we would be convicted of and convinced of that this is what your desire is for your church. And we have the example in the early church of those who continually devoted themselves to prayer. And so... I pray as Grace Community Church, we would have that mind, not only as individual believers, but corporately, that we would have the mind of prayer, of coming to you, believing, Lord, that you are God and God alone, and that you can move mountains, and you do. And thank you for all the different examples that come to my mind as I think about, Lord, how you work. I give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand here in the power of Christ we stand all right if you're not standing please stand and wanted to um, close out our time with um, one of Paul's prayers and um, one of the things that happens as we get older in the Lord is hopefully um, we can learn from the Apostle Paul in his prayer life and fortunately we have that some of that right uh, in scripture um, Ephesians in the third chapter says for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the prayers that we have in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul and our Lord and how he prayed. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to be strengthened in the inner man through the Spirit. That we might be led into all truth and righteousness. So that we might please you in all that we say and all that we do. That's what we want, Lord. We know that the battle's there every day toward the flesh, but I pray that it would be in our minds each day to be controlled by your Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.